has been setting up for this moment uh, in his letter. Verse 6 is the central message of Colossians, the, the, the one thing he's desperate that they won't ignore. So uh, Paul has been um, telling them, you know, I thank God for you because your faith's genuine. Um, he's telling them how much he suffered for them. He's had this great poem where Jesus is, everything is in him, through him and for him, and yet Jesus has suffered for you too. And now he gets to the thing, the thing, the one job he's got for them. In fact, the most important instruction in the letter. Your one job that if you don't do it, you might as well go home. Oh, yeah, keep on doing what you're doing. Not quite as inspiring as I first thought it was going to be. Chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, just as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in him. As you started, just keep going on. It's kind of an interesting thing that he, he just says, keep on doing what you've been doing. Now, the, uh, the, got to, there's got to be a reason for that. And we're going to puzzle that out together. Uh, and we're going to kick that off in, in verse 8. Um, it says here, start of verse 8, see to it, look out, or otherwise you might be taken captive. You see, the reason why Paul says, hey, keep doing what you're doing, is because there's a very real danger that they will stop doing what they've been doing and reach out for something else, shift methods, find a new way. And that's not always a bad thing in life. I mean, there's plenty of things in life where you do that. You start one way and then you move on to another way as you mature into the next phase of things. You start a bike with training wheels, but those training wheels are very soon just holding you back and you've got to leave the old to, to move on forward. Uh, you start learning physics with the Newtonian model, but as you go on, you're taught the Newtonian model is wrong. It's just an approximation. You need to leave those old equations behind and learn some quantum physics. Christianity's not like that. In fact, if you get bored of the main thing, if you leave the thing you started with and try to move to a new level, you lose everything. If you just flick your eyes back up to chapter 1, verse 23, the Colossians will be holy and blameless before God if they continue in the faith that they started with. You never move on from needing Jesus. I have certainly not moved on from needing Jesus. In fact, Paul's hope is that they will put down roots into Jesus, be built up in him and strengthened in that trust in him, growing more realized, not more dependent on him because we're ultimately always completely dependent on him, but realize how deeply we are dependent on him more and more and more. And I take it that God arranged this warning to be read out this afternoon for us because we are at risk of being taken captive by something else. That, 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 that could actually happen to us. Not just could, it, it's, it's what's going on for us. And so we've got to ask that question, what could capture you? Like the stakes are actually high here. For the Colossians and for me and for you, what could capture your attention? Have you ever gotten scared of the consequences of something going really wrong? Uh, had that moment of, oh my goodness, if I blow this job interview or, or if someone found out that I made this mistake at work, everything could fall apart and like you are completely and utterly nervous. That sinking moment of fear that you could be out to paying a massive price for some mistake you have made. That concern, that worry. We're going to need to pay attention to something that is a danger that we could lose everything. See to it that no one takes you captive. Now, there is a funny phrase here, and I'm going to do a little bit of a survey. So if you've got your Bible there, have a look with me down to verse 8. And I want you to tell me what your translation has after the words, according to human tradition, according to... What's the next words you've got in your translation? Just, just a few people yell out because you might have different ones. According to the elemental spirits. 
elementary principles of the world, elemental forces of the world, basic principles of the world. Does anyone know what any of those phrases means? They're all quite confusing. And, and, and that particularly the elemental spiritual powers kind of ones. Now, I want to tell you why there are those different translations, right? And that's partly because the word can mean sort of a few different things. Uh, it, it, can be, it was used to mean in the ancient world a few different things. The first one is um, the basic physical parts of the world, okay? Like, like the, the smallest unit of matter. For the ancient Greek philosophers, they use this word, stoicheia happens to be what it's pronounced, that is, if you, if you care, uh, to mean atoms, yeah, the little bits and pieces that the world's made up of, right? But it can also refer to not just the basic pieces of the world, but the, 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 bit, the, um, the order of the world, the, 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 the way that the, the things are organized together, not just the bits, but the way those bits relate to each other, the, the rules of organization. But it can also not just mean the bits of the world, the bits of organization of the world, but also the spiritual forces in the world that then play around with those two things. Stoicheia, stoicheia, stoicheia. The, basically, the way this world works. And you can think of it like a board game, okay? The stoicheia of this world, the elemental principles of this world, are all of the bits of the game because they're the actual pieces that make up the game, the rule book for how you're supposed to play the game, and then the players who are playing it. The physical stuff, the rules, and the players. For, in, for the ancient Greeks, the atoms, the way that they're supposed to interact with each other, and then the spiritual forces who are playing the game of life. And so, okay, let's go back now into the verse. What does that mean for us? What do we need to avoid? Well, philosophies that are based on human tradition and the way this world works, be it the way the world works physically, the way the world works in terms of the rules of society, or the, the way that the spiritual world in this world works. Anything about the way that this world works. Now, if you stop and think about it, that's, <laughs> that's really comprehensive. Philosophies that are based on anything to do with how this world works. In fact, that's saying a philosophy based on anything other than Christ. Which does look a lot, lot, lot like what God's getting at here, because that's basically what he says at the end of verse 8. Anything other than Christ. Anything. If your philosophy is based on anything other than this thing that God is doing in Jesus, it's going to be empty and hollow and deceitful. Now, when I say anything, I mean absolutely anything. In another letter, in the letter to the Galatians, another part of the Bible, the Bible even calls the Old Testament law stoicheia. The law given on Mount Sinai, written on stone tablets by the magical finger of God, God says, no, no, that's, that's this worldly. That follows the logic of this world. The, the philosophy that is based on anything other than the game-changing, and I'm losing that metaphor deliberately, game-changing thing that Jesus does will end up destroying you. You see, how did the Mosaic law work? The one who obeys this law will live and the one who disobeys it will be cursed. It can never save you. That's just, that's just the game. That's just how things work. It took something unimaginable, uh, something that was once a mystery but has now been revealed to change the game. The things that are natural to us because they're the things of this world, the pieces, the rules, the players, God had to completely change it in order to bring us back to him. And, and how God did this is what he unpacks in the rest of our passage. Three things. God added a new piece to the game. 
God changed the way that the rules could even work, and he changed the way the players play the game. So we're going to unpack those three things. Verse 9, the new peace. The new peace that God added to this game. This, verse 9 is one of the most significant bits of theology in all of Scripture. In Jesus, in Christ, God added a new piece to the game set, one that doesn't even make sense, because the game designer walked and walks in the game, actively interacting with it. Do you see that in verse 9? Let me have a quick look. Where are we? For in him the whole fullness of deity lives bodily. Like a decent translation of that last phrase is God in skin. Deity in skin Blood, fat, bones. And according to this passage, this new piece walks in the world and changes the game. The designer himself. How does he do that? Well, there are some complex bits in the next couple of verses. Hopefully, after we've read them, and I'm going to explain two, two rituals that it mentions. Circumcision and baptism will be fine and it won't be complex. We will understand what it's doing. But what are we going to do is I'm just going to read verses 11 and 12 and a little bit of 13. We'll explain those two rituals and then we'll pull it all together in a way that makes sense. All right, everyone's cool? We can go on that little journey. You ready to go? Here we go. Verses 11 to 13. Have a read with me. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Okay, it's a little complex, right? There's a few rituals and bits and pieces there, but like I said, it will fall together really simply. Now, firstly, baptism. Baptism was a a ritual that you required to do in order to join the Old Testament people of God. If you weren't an Israelite, you wanted to become an Israelite, you needed to do the baptism thing. And what that symbolized was going under the water and dying to your non-Israelite life. It's dead. I'm gone. I'm a new person. I'm I'm dead to that. Uh, Just like, you know, death annuls a marriage covenant. Uh, you're dead, and so your, your identity as that old person is gone. And so then you could come up out of the water and rise to a, a, a new life. It's a new you, and, you know, freshly cleaned into the bargain, right? So the, so the symbolism works really, really nicely. And that's what it was for. So it's a symbol, therefore, of death and life, a symbol of, of leaving behind the old ways of life, starting a new life, new identity, new person. Now, circumcision, the second ritual, that was the thing that once you had become a member, it was the thing that marked you. It was your badge. It was your, your, your stamp on your wrist, your, your wristband for, um, for the music festival that you're going to to let you in and out. It was the stamp that marked you out as a member of the Old Testament people of God. The badge that says you are set apart for him. Now, that's what those bits are for. Now, Paul says here that in him, in Jesus, something special has happened. And I want to pick up those those just two words, in him. Now, have you noticed how often that comes up in the New Testament? Like in him, in him this, in him that, in him that. And and once again, another one of those phrases where you're like, what on earth does that mean? What's it for? Well, uh, sorry, the other other phrase, with him, we get three times in this passage as well. Um, Because anything that is in him, then... Sorry, anything that happens with Jesus for us happens because we're in him. Now, let me re- read out all the in hymns and the with hymns in this passage, and we'll see how it works. 
So this is I'm just I'm just gonna I'm just reading out the like a little phrases as we go through the whole of the passage. So you don't need to follow on necessarily. As you received him, walk in him, rooted and strengthened in him, because in him lives deity, and in him we have been filled. In him you have been circumcised, then three widths, buried with him, raised with him, made alive with him. And finally, God triumphed over the spirits in him. Now, once you've had it pointed out to you, you will see in him everywhere in the New Testament. I'm sorry, I've just spoiled reading the Bible for you. Like, you're just going to see the in hymns, they're going to just be jumping out everywhere. But what does it actually mean to be in Christ? Now, there's this helpful pastor from Perth. Um, uh, his name's uh, Rory, and uh, he wrote a little book about it called One Forever, Tra- The Transforming Power of Being in Christ. And in it, he says this. He says, imagine that you're at an airport, okay? You're there, the plane's there, and you're waiting to, to, to sort of like travel to Perth. Um, don't know why you want to travel to Perth, but that's what you're doing. I think it's because Rory's from there. And, and what relationship do you need to have with the plane? Next to the plane? Following the plane? Inspired by the plane? Well, it's pretty obvious. You, kind of, you, you need to be in the plane. And once you're in the plane, whatever happens to the plane happens to you. You can be the most nervous, fear-of-flying person with almost no faith at all that that plane will get you to Perth. Or maybe you just got no faith, no faith in the Western Australian government to let you in to the state once you get there. But, but if you take that step to get in the plane, you'll arrive in Perth just as effectively as that frequent flyer who's sitting up there in business class drinking champagne. They're, they're, they're sitting there watching their movie while the safety briefing's going on. They're not thinking... They, don't, they know they're going to get... They're not even... They've got all the faith in the world. that They're not even concerned about it. See, it's not about the strength of the faith, but it's about where you're located with respect to the plane. Now, how are we to walk in verse 6, this, that, that, that most important verse in the letter, the one instruction? How are we to live in Him? In Him. Now, what does being in Him do? What it means is that we end up going wherever He goes. See, that's what the baptism and the, um, and the circumcision stuff is, is, is going on there. You see, in him, you were also circumcised. You've got the mark of being a true member of God's people. And before, you know, Paul's readers get concerned about having to get, you know, some stuff done, uh, Paul clarifies really quickly, this is a new circumcision. It's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual reality. And it means that you're, the mark of living for Jesus is, is on your heart. No works from you necessary, no proving necessary. You've got it just because you're in him. You're in Christ, you've got it instantly. If you're Christ, you've got the badge. And again, verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism. Since when, have you ever thought of yourself as being buried with Jesus? Like it's a weird thing. I wasn't around 2,000 years ago. I'm pretty sure I've never been buried alive. But if I'm in Christ, then as sure as he died and was buried, my old life ended then too. And the sentence of death that I deserve has been carried out and, I, and, and it's been carried out on me. The life that I live now is a new life because I've been raised with him. Because I'm in him, I'm always with him. Whatever he's been through, I've been through. Wherever he will be, I will be. And so surely as Jesus is raised to new life with God, so am I. You see, in Jesus, God put a new piece on the board that could do different things. One who is human and yet divine, a part of the game, but also the very designer of the game, a genuine human, a genuine player on the board who could be the perfect player of the game for us and yet also fix the game itself. Die for our sin at the same time. 
There was only one who could ever earn heaven and be the new perfect people of God. No, no human being on our planet could have done that, but he did. And if I'm in him, that's all I need. That's it. Just got to be in him. The new peace. That was the new peace that changed the game. Now, so you can, you can see now how any standard that anyone could use to accuse me or, or to say, hey, hold on, you didn't win the game, is null and void. God has actually, well, he hasn't bent the rules. He, he's just used the rules. But then you think, hold on, he's just changed the way the rules can even apply so that the rules brought life when before the rules could only ever have brought death and judgment. Shame and inadequacy. You see it there. See it there in uh, verse uh, 13. Verse 14, sorry. Oh, sorry, 13 and 14. God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. You see, if God was going to go rules... If the rules were going to apply in the way that the game had started, there's no hope for us. But now the rules work for you if you are in Christ because he is the perfection of the one who played the rules so well that he won the game. That's what verse 14 says. Have you ever played a game of the rules, lawyer? You know, like played a board game with someone who was just such a stickler for the rules. Yeah, don't look at your wife or your husband during... I never asked that. Um, you know, when they just want you to... They just, they just want you to do the right thing by their thing so that they can, they can win the game. Someone's so determined to be a stickler. Now, who are the rules lawyers in the game of life? Because it's funny, like in this, in, this, in this book, I kind of get the sense that God's actually more merciful than that. God, God seems to be the one who wants me to go well. He wants to forgive. I mean, yes, God is absolutely keen on justice, but there's something restrained about him as if grace was higher on his list of priorities. Well, verse 15 tells you who the rules lawyers are. They're actually the other players of the game. See, the other players in this game in verse 15 are the spiritual forces in the heavens. Verse 15, he disarmed these rulers, these authorities, and he put them to open shame. Now, look, I don't know pub culture in Hobart. Um, I don't know if any of you guys know pub culture in Hobart, but in Brisbane, I do. There are rules for when you play pool. Now, I need some help here. What happens in Hobart... Um, when a player loses a game of pool without themselves having sunk one ball. Say again? You get pantsed. Right, and so is this the same rules in Brisbane where you then have to pull down having only your undies on and then run around the table? Yep, right, you get pantsed, exactly. Okay, good, I'm glad that you guys have culture. This is excellent. Um, do, they, do they have that custom in China where if you lose a game of pool, you have to run around the table with just your undies? It's not, okay, it's probably, probably a good thing. Um, different cultures, different, different rules. Um, look, in Scripture, there's always been this contest between God and his antagonist, the accuser, like a, like, like a, like a game of pool at the pub for bragging rights. Sometimes he gets called Satan, sometimes he, sometimes he gets called the devil. But God cares about his reputation in this, this, this heavenly court. Um, this space where spiritual beings gather and are active. I mean, you see it in the beginning of Job where God says, there's this guy, Job. Gee, he works hard and, and, and he honors me. He's a good guy and he's faithful to me. And then you get Satan trying to say, no, nah, no, nah, he, he's not really a good guy. He's not faithful to you. He's, he's, he's not your friend. And, and tries to turn God and people against each other. 
and tries to make God look like the bad guy. Now, when God turned the way that the game is played upside down, he ended up putting all the other's players to shame because every evil spirit who has been desperately trying to make God turn on his own people has ended up failing. You see, what, what possible power could evil spirits have against you? I mean, evil spirits are just creations of God. What possible power could they have against you? It's the verse 14 stuff. They've got your sin against you. And God's standards. You see, they know how to play the game. They can put God's perfection and your sinfulness, my sinfulness, up against each other and say, hey, hey, we got you here. Look at that. You you deserve guilt. You deserve shame. God's not your friend. God's going to be your judge. They're the rules lawyers wanting to take you down and wanting to take God and his people down. And yet, when Jesus took the list of requirements and nailed them to the cross, when he died the death for sin, he disarmed them. They don't have a thing to use against you now. The rule book has been taken away from them. They want every human made enemies with God, but God God has said, no, no, for my people, for anyone in Christ, no, 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 that that price has been paid. The the, the rules have been satisfied. Every T crossed, every I dotted, they're fine. You can't bring an accusation. Quiet, Satan. Oh, you think Tim's done something wrong? Be quiet. Sorted. Go. You can't say anything about him. You can't spoil my relationship with him. You can't spoil my relationship with my daughter who I love. You've got nothing to do it with. You have no power. God is one. And so, he's pantsed the spiritual beings. He's humiliated them. Did you, like, I'm not trying to make a joke that's, like, I'm not trying to be more crass than the Bible is. That's what it says there. Verse 15, he put them to open shame. He pants them. He made them look stupid and wants everyone to know it. If you're from an honour-shame culture, um, then you more than me, the Australian, will understand how how big a deal that shaming of them is. And none of them can do anything to you or shame you because you're loved by God in Christ. No one can put you to shame. And the, only one, the ones who really want to have been put to shame themselves. He's pants them. Now, we're getting to the end. When God changed the rules of the game for you, don't go back to the old rules. This is what chapter 2 verse 6 is saying. In the same way as God has, has put you on board, on, on board like, like you're one of those little, you know, the game of life, there's that little car and you're like one of the, you know, Jesus is the car, you're one of the people on board, you're in Christ. Don't jump off. He's won the game. In fact, lean into that. Live in him. Start with him. Finish with him. Talk to him. Relate to him. Every moment of your day, every step of your walk. And some of you guys count your steps in a day, right? It should be in him with him, relating to him. This is a rebuke for me. Because remember, we've got God, Father, Son, and Spirit here, and there's a way that they relate. See, I often pray to God, but without truly coming to God in him, in Christ, with great thankfulness in my heart saying, God, thank you that I can even pray this prayer because I, because Jesus is my friend. And he sorted it out between us. 
Um, I, I say this not because I'm good at this, because I'm bad at this. Paul, um, I've got a friend here, Paul. Um, he even just recently was like an older brother to me. Uh, there was a, a time recently we were together and uh, we, were, we, were, we were praying together. Uh, I, was, I was finding it um, a difficult process to go to God with some of the things that I was feeling and thinking. And, and he, he was like an older brother to me, sorting things out for me with God. And he led me to go to God in Christ, with, with Jesus as, as sort of the means. And so it's sort of funny. He was, he was leading me to be in Christ, to go to God, to go to God with, with Jesus as, the, as the, the sort of the, um, the thing that made it okay for me to do so. But also he was being like Jesus to me because you know, he's in Christ himself, so he can do that sort of thing, right? He, he was, because he's, he's in Christ, and so he was leading me to go to God and enabled me to. Enable me to, 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 to go to my Heavenly Father in prayer, to be real and open with Him because, well, I'm in Christ, so I can. And I've got full rights to do so. Now, the, this, this, is, this is not something that's, that's, that, well, if you know the words that are on the page, oh, I, I know that I, I, am, I am with God in Christ, that I've got this covered. Because this is a relationship. And 21st century Australians don't tend to be that great at deep, intimate relationships. And so we are going to need each other, like I needed Paul in that moment, to help us go to God in Christ. You see, you don't just like avoid the, the, the captiveness of the world just by avoiding silly things that you think are dumb. You have to be enamored with Jesus. You have to be deep in your relationship with Jesus. You have to really love him. You have to get used to being with him, talking to him, relating to him. And so tonight I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to talk to each other about this. Please talk to each other about your relationship with God, about what it's like, about your relation, about whether it's in Christ or whether you feel guilty all the time when you go to God or whether you feel joy, whether you don't feel joy. What's great about the relationship, what sucks about the relationship, is, is, it, is it an in Christ one? How could it be more? Listen and love each other. And help each other to lean into Jesus. Can I encourage you, just tonight, we're going to talk about business stuff straight afterwards. But after that, don't talk about the football unless you're talking about how it relates to Jesus. And no, a Mexican soccer player named Jesus does not count for that. Talk about you and him, please, with each other. Walk in him and talk about how you can walk in him more through the week. As we continue in Colossians We'll, have a, we'll, we'll, we'll unpack the false philosophies, the false gospels that we could get captured by. But tonight, we're not going to worry about those. The word tonight is to set your mind to live in Christ. Tomorrow morning to wake up in Christ. To, 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 to go to God, trusting God because you are in Him and knowing that He and His perfection is what got you there. And so you are free from any shame and condemnation. And as we do this, we should expect that as that conversation reaches its natural end point, we will, we will pick up the end of verse 6. We will be abounding in thanksgiving, overflowing with thankfulness. Because the gospel is game-changing, rule-changing love. And for you and for me, getting our heads and our hearts around that kind of love, it might take a long conversation. You might have no joy or thankfulness in your Christian life. Like you'd, you might say, thank you, God, but you might not feel any thankfulness or joy. And that's because you're not at the end of this conversation yet. It may take years. It may take the rest of your life. But I don't give you hope that the natural end of that conversation 
is going to be the joy that overflows into thankfulness. So tonight, I encourage you, help lead each other into Jesus. I'm going to pray for us now, and we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, you've given us an older brother. You, you had your son step into this world, completely change the game, so that all of the, the ways that our minds function, the ways that we do things to, to make life work and to, to earn our way with you or, to, or to, to think that we're a good person or to feel like we're okay, those things that just end up making us feel ashamed and, and pathetic, that we don't have to be captured by them anymore. But Father, the, the large parts of our hearts can still be. And so Father, we desperately ask tonight that you would help us to be vulnerable and real with each other and to talk through our relationship with you, with each other, being honest. Father, we pray that you, by your Spirit, would enable us to trust in Christ, just as you have saved us and loved us in Christ. And we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.